The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. So uh, whether you're here today to see a child dedicated, see one of the baptisms, or, or you're here every Sunday, um, I just want to welcome you. I want to say thank you for being here. We, as a church, are walking through the book of Ruth. And it's, it's a beautiful story of how God redeems and saves and uses some of the most unusual of people. And as one, myself, who believes I'm quite unusual, it's good to hear that God is gracious and loving and merciful and doesn't require everyone to be perfect. He simply requires us to be available. And, and I love the story of Ruth. We started it last week. So even if it's your first time here, you're not too far behind. You're five verses behind. Uh, we're going to do verses 6 through 23 today, so um, that's, that's going to take us some time to do that, 6 through 23, um, but I, I want to go quickly uh, to make sure that we get done on time. So if you will, we're going we're gonna to fly, uh, but after we pray. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do, for the way, God, that you have each of us. You know us by name. I pray today that you speak to us through your word in your Holy Spirit, and that, God, we would follow you every day of our life. We would follow you uh, wherever you might call us to go, Lord, so that you might be glorified through our lives. Speak to us today so we might be transformed, we might look more like you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Before we read verse six, quick summary of verses one through five. There's a family, Elimelech, Naomi, those are husband and wife. They have two sons, Kilion, Malion. They are in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of God. It's, it's well, not Jerusalem, but I mean, it's a godly city. It's the house of bread. The reason that they need to leave the house of bread is because there is no bread. They're starving. There's a famine in Bethlehem. So they go about 60 miles, 50, 60 miles to Moab. You're not supposed to go to Moab if you're a follower of God. Moab is a forbidden country. It's a country of pagans. It's a cursed country. But Moab has bread and Bethlehem doesn't. So they go anyway. Despite what the word of God says, they go anyway. They go because their family is starving. They're there for 10 years. The sons take Moabite wives. You're not supposed to do that either. But they get married. Over a period of 10 years, though, the father and the two sons, they die. And Naomi, the mother, is left with these two daughters-in-law. And at the end of the 10-year period is where we pick up here in verse six. So here's what it says. When Naomi heard while she was in Moab that the Lord had come to aid, to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. What I think is interesting. Naomi didn't hear while praying one morning in the garden. Naomi, go home. There's food now. She didn't hear the still small voice of God. One of her pagan neighbors told her, hey, did you hear there's bread back in your hometown? She hears that. She gets excited. She decides, well, I've lost everything I've got here. Might as well go back home. Verses seven through nine, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah, which is where Bethlehem is, about 50 miles. Take them a couple days to make that journey. They, they start off. Verse eight, then Naomi said to her, her two daughters-in-law, go back, let's just, wait, stop. You need to go back, each of you. Go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness. She starts to pray over them. A farewell blessing, if you will. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown me kindness and kindness to your husbands. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. 
Go back. You're still young. You're pretty. Go find another man. My sons are gone. I'm going home, but there's no reason for you to come with me. There's one of two reasons why Naomi says this. There is the selfless reason that we'll read about here in just a moment, that these two women are loyal to Naomi, but Naomi has nothing for them. No hopes, no prospects, nothing. I mean, they're, they're kind of stuck by marriage. And so selflessly, Naomi's releasing them. Go back. Go back while you still got your life to live and live. And don't forget about me. Forget about me. That's the selfless reason why Naomi would say it. There's also a selfish reason. Naomi has family back in Bethlehem. Now they're extended family, but family nonetheless. In Moab, she has nothing. She has three graves. That's it. But if she goes back to Bethlehem with two Moabite daughters-in-law, she's gonna be ostracized. It's highly likely that the family that she has there will not accept the three of them into their home. Because they stayed in Bethlehem. They believe the word to be true. They, they're probably not gonna let these gals in. So it's possible that Naomi's actually being selfish. Now she's wrapping it in nice language. Oh, go take care of you. Sweet daughters, you go. She, there's no knowledge that they'll be accepted back into their homes. There's no knowledge that there's no guy there. I, I think, and this is my opinion, I could be completely wrong. I think Naomi is actually being selfish. I think she's scared. I think she's scared of the repercussions of walking back into Bethlehem with these two daughters. And, and I think maybe the next few verses will lighten us on that. Finishing verse nine, go through 13. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all wept aloud. And I don't mock that. They've journeyed for 10 years together. They've been through some horrible things together. So, I mean, I do believe there's a love there. They, they wept aloud. And the girls said to her, we will go back with you to your people. No, Naomi, we're not, we're not leaving you. We're with you. We're gonna go with you. But Naomi said, no, 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 return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I gonna have more sons who become your husbands? No, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, which she clearly doesn't. Even if I had a husband tonight, which I don't. And I gave birth to a son nine months from now. I need to have two sons. But then would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried and wait for them to become 18, 19, 20 years old? No, my daughters, that's too much of me to ask for you. Go back home. Now that's some weird language, right? What is she talking about having babies that they can marry the babies? That's just creepy, right? <laughs> There's a Levitical law that we don't follow basically to keep the family of God together. If a brother dies, it is the job of his other brother to take his widow wife. You can have multiple wives in the Old Testament. Which we don't know why that was, but you can. And so if one brother dies, the other brother's gotta step up and, and be the man and keep the family together. Take the first brother's wife. In this situation, the two brothers are both dead. So what Naomi is saying is, even if I could produce some more sons so that they could one day be your husbands, according to this law, we're, we're a couple decades away from that. Are you really gonna wait? Because if you do, you ain't gonna be a spring chicken no more. Not, not sure that my unborn babies are gonna wanna be your husband. It's just weird talk. But that's what's going on. That's what Naomi's thinking. But she's painting an impossible picture. Once again, I think she's trying to get them to go back home. 
Possibly because she's selfless. In my opinion, more probably because she's selfish. And because she's very bitter. Naomi blames God for all of this. Verse 13, the rest of it. This is known as Naomi's testimony. It is more bitter for me than for you. Yes, you've lost husbands. Boo-hoo. But it's worse for me. I lost my husband, and I've lost my two sons. All because the Lord's hand has turned against me. I once was favored, and whether it's because I left Bethlehem and came here, now I'm clearly cursed. God is cursing me, and I've lost everything I have, and I am bitter that's some raw language, right? Like you, don't, you don't think you're going to see that in the Bible a whole lot. But it's real language. It's real language. And God forbid anyone in this room has experienced the loss of a child. But I mean, psychologists will tell you that is the most excruciating of loss. You don't, you don't come back from that completely to lose a spouse. I'm not gonna say it's equally as hurtful, but it is not easy. It's not something you just get over. Naomi's got the trifecta. Her kids are both dead. Her husband's dead. She's bitter, and she's bitter at God. Don't come with me. I'm bitter, I'm empty, I'm broken. You need to get away from me. Some real language. Verse 14, as they wept aloud again, Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah is convinced, I need to go back. Ruth, faithful. And I think we'll see quickly that her faithfulness is to Naomi as a good daughter-in-law, but more so to the God who she met through Elimelech and Naomi. I think she is now a follower of Jehovah Yahweh. I think she is a follower of God. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Just go back with her. Once again, selfless, selfish, I don't know, but Naomi is trying very hard to return to Bethlehem alone for whichever reason. What we have in the next few verses is called Ruth's testimony, probably the most famous verses in the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful testimony. Ruth replied, verses 16 and 17, don't urge me to leave you. Don't tell me to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God make my God. Where you die, there too I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now the language there is accurate. May the Lord be mean to me if death separates us. Well, death would separate them, right? By definition, one of them dies, they're no longer together. 
But did you see the end of that? Where you die, I will die, and where you're buried, I'll be buried. There was a Jewish tradition that believed that if families were buried together, that on the, judge, on the resurrection day, that family would be brought back to life together. And they would be ushered into heaven together. And that's how Ruth can say, even death won't separate us because I'm gonna be where you are when you die or I die and, and then we're gonna be buried together and then we're gonna come back as one family and that tells me definitively that Ruth believes in God, believes in eternity, believes in the resurrection, not of Jesus, but of bodies. She's a follower. But look at the first part of that. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Naomi, at this point, now she has some prospects but Naomi is homeless, and Ruth knows that. And the likelihood of Naomi staying homeless if Ruth goes back with her is pretty good. So Ruth is saying, I'll sleep on the streets. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I, I, if we have to sleep in the streets, I'm with you. I got you. Now, that's love. Your people will be my people. I know many people who want God, but nothing to do with God's people. It's a package deal. You don't just get to have one. Your people be my people. They may hate me. They may not accept me, but I will do everything I can because I'm leaving my people and I want to be a part of your people. And your God, my God. Now, Ruth's God was a God named Chemosh. Chemosh was the God of Moab. They had many, but Chemosh was the chief God. In Numbers 21, 29, it says, Woe to you, Moab. You are a destroyed people of Chemosh. The God of Chemosh accepted human sacrifice. We know this because the Moabite king in 2 Kings 2, the Moabite king was actually being attacked by Israel and the Moabite king offered his firstborn son to Chemosh. Took his son, killed him so that they might win the battle. That's the kind of God that Chemosh is. That's Ruth's God. So somehow through this, she's learned about our God and says, your God will be my God. I'll take your God. Verses 18 through 22, back in Ruth. When Naomi realized that Ruth was bound and determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Naomi relents. I think Naomi relented because could you argue with that beautiful speech? I mean, the one that Ruth, that's beautiful, right? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'll die with you. Like, that's epic. And, and I think in Naomi's mind, she's going, remember what you just said and say that to everybody in Bethlehem. Like, when we get back, it's gonna get harsh, but that was good. <laughs> that was poetic. That was very moving. So I can see that you're not going back. So if you're coming with me, just re recite that in your mind a few times because that was pretty, pretty cool. So they head back. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Two reasons. One, Naomi just walked in with a Moabite woman, and that's a no-no. So the gossip mill, the rumor mill, it got going quick. But the second reason they were stirred is, is right here at the end of the verse. And the women of the town exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, you see the inflection that I use? Can this be her? Is she back? The Hebrew tells us what inflection they really used. It was a very harsh tone. And so what this is saying is the women looked at each other and were like, dang, is that Naomi? 
she looks horrible. That's what this is saying. That's literally a better English translation. That can be Naomi. Those last 10 years have been rough. And when she left, she, she was good, full and good looking, and now she is not. Now, women can be catty. Don't act like you haven't been in those circles. Don't, don't play. Reunions, like, oh my gosh, she was the, oh, yeah. 10 years can do a lot to someone. And let's give her some grace. She's been through it. She's been through it. She probably didn't look too good. She looked broken and beaten and weathered. She'd lost her faith. She's full of bitterness. Verse 20, Naomi addresses the women head on. She's not gonna pull any punches. Mm -mm, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Naomi means pleasantness. That's what her name, her given name meant, pleasantness. Naomi doesn't fit me anymore. My new name's Mara because I am bitter. I am bitterness. It's what I am. And look at why. Because the Almighty, a very reverent name for God, the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Now, I don't want to make a big sermonic point here, but we are responsible for our own bitterness. You can't be throwing that one on God. God made me bitter. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Now, I'm not saying that those who follow God don't become bitter because life gets really hard, but God doesn't make us bitter. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why would you call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. It's all his fault. She forgets that she's the one who disobeyed and left. Now, once again, I said last week, I don't think she was cursed because of that. But she is unwilling to take any responsibility for her actions. This is all God. It's all his doing. He has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This would be about mid-April. It's important to note that eventually, I think primarily because of Ruth, Naomi will regain her faith. And that's very important for us because we can be at a point where we're telling God, you made me bitter, you took everything from me, I can't stand you. We can be at that point in our life and then life can continue and our faith and position can change because God is a God of grace. So it's important to note that Naomi will come full circle And Ruth will be a huge player in that. But there's another point that I want to make from this section today. There's another truth that I want to pull out. Ruth was not allowed in Bethlehem. She was not allowed to come back. She was not allowed to be a part of the family of God. It wasn't allowed to be. Now, we read this passage last week, Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite Okay, Ruth was a Moabite, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. They are forbidden. They're forbidden in the family of God. Yet Ruth makes it in. And I have to ask why? How? 
How is she accepted by God when his own word forbids her? One word, grace. She fell at the feet of God, knowing her position before him and surrendered everything she had. And when we do this, anyone does this, you are met by a God who is gracious. He gives grace to the humble. That's how she got in. And this is good news. Because anyone in this room who's ever sinned, if you've ever sinned, and if you haven't, you're free to leave because you don't need to be here. But if you've ever sinned, that sin excludes you from the family of God as well. You're not allowed in. But God is gracious. And to those who humbly and faithfully fall at his feet, he offers grace, abundant grace, sufficient grace. How do I know that she was in? There are five women listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in his family tree. Only five. Now, every generation had to have a woman, right? Biology tells you that. Every, everyone needed one, but there's only five that are listed. Of the five, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's a saint. She's a saint. No marks against her that we're aware of. The other four, just in case you don't already know this, are Tamar, who was famous for committing incest. There is Rahab, who by profession was a prostitute. There is Ruth, who was a pagan foreigner Moabite, kicked out of the assembly of God for 10 generations and beyond. And then, although not listed by name, she is referenced, and we know for sure it's her, Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Now, she was an adulteress, but I will put most of the blame for that adultery on David, okay? Like, I'm gonna go ahead and chalk him up as the, the aggressor there. But... Five women listed, Mary, the mother of Jesus, gets a pass. The other four, we can't agree, are women of questionable character. Or at least have marks against them. Yet those are the ones that get listed. And as the band comes back up here, I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about the family of God, the family tree that birthed the Messiah, Jesus, of the five women listed, four have marks against them. What does that tell me? Tells me definitively that God is the head of a family of really broken people. And that is very, 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 very good news. Because you are looking at a broken person. One who's not deserving of being called a child of God. But by his grace... I'm in. And by his grace, you too can be in. Because of his great love for us and no other reason, God paved the way for us and our brokenness to be in. And women, I wanna talk to you at, at the very end and for one reason alone because I feel like sometimes women are harder on themselves than men like men are sometimes ignorant of the fact of how broken we really are, so we just think we're really good. I'm sure you don't know any men like that. 
but I know far too many women who feel like they are not good enough for God. May the genealogy of Jesus be sufficient proof to you that you are good enough. Not because of who you are, what you've done, but because of who he is. He created you, he loves you, he knows you're broken. If you're humble enough to fall at his feet and say, God, I'm yours, he'll use you, he'll redeem you, he'll restore you, and you'll be a part of his family forever. That's just the kind of God he is. So today, the way we're gonna respond, really simple, we're gonna take communion together. Why? Because I think it's a great reminder of God's grace. So ushers, why don't you go and start passing. And in church, we're gonna do just a little different today. We're not gonna take it all at the same time. So as they pass, you grab the bread and the cup, and then you're gonna take it when you're ready. So you, you take it whenever you want, but here's all I want you to do. I don't want you to take the bread and the cup until you have looked at the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus. You've looked at the cup that represents the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what gets you in the family. That's the work that had to be done. The price had to be paid that you couldn't pay for yourself. That's, that's what those represent. Once you look at those, and I want you to smile from ear to ear and realize the immense amount of grace, unmerited favor that has been shown to you because of Jesus. And then when you're ready, when you've got that smile on your face, I want you to take the bread and take the cup and then, then we'll worship together. But what Jesus did tells me that God loves you, proves to me that God loves you and that he wants you to be a part of the family so badly that while you're still sinners, Christ died for us. So Father, as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, I just ask that you would show us your love, that we would fall humbly at your feet, we would put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus, and that we'd be a part of your family, be a part of your eternal family because of your great grace, your immense grace. Speak to our hearts today, minister to us as we respond to you. It's in your name we pray, amen.